Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Welcome to the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, episode number 235. Film editing is now something that almost anyone can do at a simple level and enjoy it. But to take it to a higher level requires the same dedication and persistence that any art form does. Walter Murch. Broadcasting from the back alley in Hollywood, it's the Indie Film Hustle Podcast, where we show you how to survive and thrive as an indie filmmaker in the jungles of the film biz. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, my indie film hustlers, to another episode of the Indie Film Hustle Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Today's episode is brought to you by Blackbox. Blackbox is a new platform and community that is all about financial freedom for filmmakers like you. If you join Blackbox, you will be transformed from being a worker to being a maker of your own content. And you'll be making steady passive income from the global market. Blackbox currently allows you to upload your stock footage once, get it to many global agencies, and then allows you to share that passive income stream with your collaborators. Whether you want to submit old footage that's been sitting around in your hard drives or create brand new content, Blackbox is for you. It's really quite revolutionary. With Blackbox, filmmakers can concentrate on making great content while Blackbox takes care of all the business BS. Just visit www.blackbox.global to find out more. Today's show is also sponsored by Studio Unknown. Studio Known is a crack team of audio post professionals known for quality sound on any indie budget. Whether you need a lush surround sound mix or a quick festival submission pass, Studio Known can help you with all of your post sound needs, from sound design and mix to Foley ADR and even a custom score. Contact Studio Known and mention the Indie Film Hustle podcast, and you'll get 50% off one day of ADR or 10% off your complete post sound package. Just go to studiounknown.com. Now, today on the show, we have Lawrence Jordan, who is a film editor with over three decades of experience and has worked on some amazing films like uh, Fallen with Denzel Washington, one of my favorite films from the 90s, Assassins, Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo, CSI Miami, as well as a new Netflix film, Naked, starring Marlon Wayans. Now, Lawrence and I sit down and really dig into the craft of editing, uh, how he started in his career, how he works with directors, some unique stories from the edit room, and just talk shop. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with Lawrence Jordan. I'd like to welcome to the show Lawrence Jordan. Thank you, man, so much for being on the show. My pleasure, Alex. Great to be here. I, I'm, um, I've had only a couple editors on, but I've never had an editor with your street cred on before. So I'm really excited to uh, to kind of dig in to uh, to your career and uh, and to your techniques as well. 
Oh well, thank you. I'm flattered. Um, yeah, you uh, you got to get some more editors. Where you know that's where all the actions happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, my audience, the tribe has definitely heard enough about post. I mean, one of my most successful podcasts ever is post production workflow. Understand it or die. <laughs> that, good, good title, man. Yeah, absolutely. That, that was one my of my story. <laughs> I mean, right? I mean, just they just don't get post production workflow, and it will kill you. And nowadays, I mean, back in the day when you know when you were. Uh, when when I was starting out, it was Avid, and that was right. pretty much it. I mean, there's now well, we're going to get a little geeky, guys. And there was Media 100, there was the Video Cube. Um, oh yeah. If, if you want to go even farther back, the Montage, which is what I first learned on. Wow. Oh wow. yeah. That that's you are you know well you know I was gonna I was gonna say uh, you're a much younger man than I because <laughs> I started on 35 millimeter film. So well, no, I uh, when I went to I when I went to college, they taught me on the Montage, which was just working on windows 311 <laughs> that is amazing man because you know actually the first avid show that i ever did mm-hmm. was we started on the montage uh, the editor that i was working with a guy named steve Cohn, who's a who's a terrific editor mm-hmm. um and very into technology you know kind of turned me on to the montage picture processor the digital version you know because they had like a beta cam version right yeah, this is a, yeah this is the whole digital yeah with that with eight with eight gigs being like the size of a refrigerator <laughs> oh don't start with me i mean i <laughs> stories about 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 storage and but. then and then you get you put the floppy in uh, yeah, and then you take it over to the CMX thirty six hundred, and it would never work. It was- yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was a kludge to say the least. Exactly, but when I actually when they actually took me to cut film in in, in college, they taught nonlinear editing first. Then I think it was online nonlinear, and then film. Wow. When I went to film, I was like, "This is barbaric." <laughs> what is this? You you cut with a razor blade, and if you like it, you put tape on it. What are we, the Flintstones? This is just crazy talk. And 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 we all did. I did that same um that same bit uh from was it Gunsmoke? Oh oh yeah, of course the Gunsmoke. The classic, yeah, the, the classic the, training material. Everyone <laughs> in Hollywood of of a certain age cut learned on Gunsmoke. You work and you cut on that guns, and I was just I was literally baffled. Like I'm holding, I'm like. And you hold the takes and you put them in this bin. Like it just blew my mind. It really did. But but it's something that I think. And if anyone ever gets a chance out there, if you're listening, gets a chance to actually edit a small little bit on film, it is a wonderful text. Like the the, the feeling, the smell, it is wonderful. Yeah. But on a practical standpoint, because of the speed that we cut today, it's just such a. It, it's just different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, it's it was a different it was a different rhythm and uh, a different process. But like you say, um, you know, a, a lot of fond memories of of, of that method. But uh, you know, after I had been cutting for a while on the Avid, um, I I was trying to do something on this product called Radius Edit, which I was mm-hmm. helping. Develop. I, remember, I remember that one. Yeah, and 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 I was trying to do a feature on it, and it just just wasn't ready for prime time. So I told the guys who I kind of sold the whole idea to, like, you know, this isn't working. You know, we got to go. And he's all, well, okay, well, let's just do it on film. And so I went back to film after having cut on the Avid for like you know five years, oh. and I was like, this ain't gonna work, man. <laughs> I am not gonna put myself through this. And uh, finally, we ended up doing it on the Avid, so everything worked out. But uh, yeah, going back to film after digital, it's it's uh, it's a different experience, without question. So so and, and again, I apologize to the tribe. We've just gone off on a tangent because this is going to happen when you get two editors in a room. Uh, this is we're going to tar- start talking geek. So please please yeah. bear with us. But there'll be some good stuff, I promise. So um, so how did you get into the business in the first place, uh, Larry? 
Well, you know, uh, I was lucky. I was born into a filmmaking family or a, a sort of like a, a technical film person family. My grandfather was a projectionist back in the uh, – he actually started when he was a kid cranking the Nickelodeons in Times Square. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And then he went on to be a sound and projection engineer at CBS News, uh, worked on 60 Minutes with uh, with all the, the legends. and Sure. Uh, yeah. So, um, and then, you know, he, you know, he kind of got my dad into it and my, my dad kind of looked around and he said, uh, you know, editing seems like a really interesting thing. And, and he became an editor and, uh, you know, kind of got a job as a runner, you know, typical mm-hmm. and, uh, built this company back in New York. That was one of the first sort of like high end post-production companies for the commercial business. And, uh, you know, he had all these huge accounts like TWA and Clairol and, you know, did a lot of famous commercials that I remember as a kid. You're probably too young. Oh, but I, I, I remember them. But the, but I do remember the pricing on those those post houses back in the days. You're like $1,000 an hour or something. Oh, yeah. It I was mean, like the money was flowing back in the it day. It was sweet. He had he had a um, like 40 editors working for oh, him. God. It was just uh, different yeah, time, different time. Yeah, and, and he was a real pioneer, you know, because – you know, my father had kind of like this technical side. Also, he was a very creative guy, but he was also an entrepreneur. And I mean, he created five companies out of out of that you know editing situation. And had forty editors working for him, and so a lot of like these big editors uh, that eventually like kind of transitioned into features because. With all due respect to commercials, they're very creative and stuff. But a, a lot of people, certainly at that time, you know, they wanted to make movies. They wanted to make films. They you know, always do. <laughs> they want to sell soap. So, uh, <laughs> right. I, God, I you you're preaching to the choir. I started out in commercials as well. It was it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, you know, I, I I haven't watched a commercial in 20 years. You know, I you know the only DVR, in fast forward, only in fast forward. Exactly. My DVR is my best friend. But um, so a lot of these like guys who, you know, came out of my dad's shop, like Craig McKay and Richie Marks and Barry Malkin. I mean, those guys worked for, you know, Rich, you know Richie worked for, uh, you know, Jim Brooks and Francis Coppola. So did, uh, you know, Barry and, uh, and, and Craig did all of Jonathan Demme's films and things like that. So, you know, like these guys, you know, sort of like were just part of my life and filmmaking was such a part of my life. So like as soon as I had the opportunity, I just said, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to make, I want to make movies. And, um, after a bopping around for a few years, you know, I was very young and I kind of like wanted to toy. I was toying with cinematography for a while, but after a few years, you know, I just said, Hey, I'd really like to do this. And I, and I went to work, uh, went to work for my dad at, you know, back as a, as a runner, you know, as a driver, schlepping, dropping off cans of films at the studios and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And, um, you know, and eventually just worked my way up, got into the union, um, and got a job as an apprentice editor. And really, you know, it was a lot of starting at the bottom and I was an assistant in features on a 35 millimeter film for 10 years, almost 10 years, about eight years. And I, you know, it was just, you know, it was tough coming up and it was slow. Uh, it's not like it is today. It can be much quicker, but it was great training ground and you really got to work and see the process and, you know, it, that was, you know, the best education I could have had, I, I believe, to to become uh, to become a film editor. I feel I, I feel that a lot of the, the new generation coming up, they will never be able to get that. They're never going to be able to get that 10 years of just grinding and watching and really honing the craft, um, which I, I mean, I did. I did that myself coming up and it was. I loved it. I mean, yes, would I have loved to have it faster? Yes. And in that world, that world's gone. It's yeah. just not the same anymore. But it is yeah. there's something to be said with the apprenticeship. There's something to be said to be 
you know, to do it old school and take your time because you really understand the process of whatever you're uh, you're doing. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, you know, when you when you're when you're working on a cut and you're looking at a scene that a, that an editor has has put together, you know, like in a first cut, and you know, it's especially back on film, you could stop and talk about it and ask questions. Right. Every you cut, know, every cut was a discussion. Yeah, exactly, and and you know, you could kind of get real insight, you know, about like where they were coming from with it, and then of course with the assembly, and then starting to see changes. I mean, there was, uh, you, you know, I think that with digital technology, as as wonderful as it as it is, and I love it, um, you know, we're we're siloed to a certain extent. You know, the the assistant is in his or her room, and they're really kind of focused on managing all the data, and you know, and and so forth. And the editor is also kind of like cloistered in there, you know, doing their cut during production. And then, of course, when the director comes in, they're huddled in there. And there's not that kind of like, you know, that that period of time where, you know, it used to take a while to make a splice and tape the splice. And, you know, the the director would be on the phone for, you know, 10 minutes because it took time to just do the edit. Now, like the director never has time to go on the phone no. until you actually have to take a break and then they go outside and talk on their cell phone. But yeah, it's a, it's sort of a, it's a different rhythm. But having said that, Alex, I encourage, uh, you know, I come from that world and I, and I really believe in handing down the craft to my assistants because I believe that's how it's, you know, best sort of passed on. And I, you know, I love giving an assistant a, a scene to cut and seeing what they can do. I know that that's, you know, for the most part, if they show any inclination that they want to cut themselves and not be a, a lifetime assistant, which some people do, and that's fine also, but you know, most people want to be editors and, you know, you give them a scene and then it's an education for me because you get to see what they bring to the material. And, uh, so I encourage it, and I and I try to give um, my assistants as much as possible, um, you know, within reason. And then, of course, you know, there's these other elements in digital that assistants get to use a lot of their creative, uh, you know, abilities. Like, for example, when I'm in a, when I'm doing my first cut, a lot of times I'll just turn my 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 cut over to my assistant and I'll say, Hey, could you lay some sound into this? You know, give me some sort of foundation just to fill it out, mm -hmm. you know, because there's such a high expectation when you show the first cut, you know, that you're, that you're showing a complete cut. It's not like the old days where you used to show a first cut with no sound on film, you know, yeah, right. And, 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 I mean the, the dialogue, but not a lot else. I mean, they, you just couldn't do it. You know, the, the, the chems could only play two tracks and even, right. you know, there'd be a, two-headed moviola which would uh play two tracks but now it's like you know guys are cutting in 7.1 and 5.1 and these mixes are completely filled out so the assistant really um you know in 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 my situation you know can flex their creative muscles and sort of get their feet wet just with sound and that's a great foundation for cutting because you know sound is 50 percent of the deal i think a lot of people you know sort of ascribe to that. And I'm certainly one of them. Now you, you started off as a sound editor, right? No. Well, yes, actually. Um, I wasn't a sound editor, but, uh, some of Assistant. my early, uh, earliest stuff was I was an apprentice in sound. I was lucky enough to work for, uh, uh, under Dee Dee Allen on a, on a feature that she was doing. And, uh, now, did you, did you work on back to the future? I did. I was Chuck Campbell's assistant editor on on Back to the Future and a bunch of other films. 
Now, uh, now, when you're working on Back to the Future, did you even feel, did, what did you, how was that? I mean, was it just another gig? Did you, did you sense anything that this was going to be a special movie? I'm a huge Back to the Future fan. I'm just asking. No, go ahead. I, I mean, it, it was an exciting place to work. It was a company called Real Sound and Charles Campbell, who was, you know, like a legend, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, was was the owner with uh, with a couple of other guys, Lou Edelman and Rick Franklin, I think at the time. Anyway, uh, Chuck had what well, Chuck essentially was Steven Spielberg's sound guy at the time. He had wow. cut the sound, won an Academy Award for ET, and um, you know he was sort of the, like top of the you know top of the, the food pops. chain, yeah. In, yeah, top of the food chain in 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 sound edit, editorial. And I was lucky enough to get uh, get a gig for him. I I had just like taken a break and gone traveling in Europe for four months. Mm-hmm. And I had come back and I was just looking for a gig, you know, because I needed money. And uh, I met with these guys and they hired me. They liked, you know, the stuff that I had done in picture. And uh, yeah, it was a thrill to, you know, when Chuck came to me and said, we're going to do Back to the Future for Bob Zemeckis and Amblin. And, um, you know, from the first time we saw the film, which was over at the Amblin screening room at Universal, it was a black and white copy of the movie. Mm -hmm. There were no visual effects in it. And, um, but we watched the movie and we just all knew, wow, this was going to be something that people are just going to like lose their shit over because it it was just, it was a great movie. You know, it was just, it was a blast. Now, did you, did you, well, you did, I'm assuming you worked on the first part when they shot everything with Eric Stoltz. And then- or by the no, by the time we came on, that had all been reshot. Oh, and, okay. So you came on with Michael J. Yeah, we didn't we didn't really even see any of the stuff with with Eric. Um, okay. Yeah, it was all Michael J. Fox, and you know, and and he he was just so good. Oh my God, and, it's just and, it's, that performance is legendary. I, yeah, yeah. So um, we were really excited, and it, you know, it was a pretty it was a pretty fast schedule. I remember we actually you know once we had completed all the cutting we were mixing on two stages in 12 hour shifts yeah because so, they lost like six weeks of shooting a movie exactly. that they had to go back on exactly exactly so so we were mixing on uh you know from like you know from nine to you know yeah. whatever to 12 and then from 12 to nine 24 it was 24 hour shifts yeah it was crazy that's and, insane um, yeah i just remembered the screening for the previous screening and the, and the, and the rap party and and then the weekend it came out, man, it was, it was as good as it gets in the movie business. And I was just the assistant sound editor, you know, I know right. But then Chuck went ahead and, uh, he actually, him and, uh, Bob Rutledge, the guy who, uh, worked with him, uh, won the Academy Award for that movie for sound. As they should. That's an amazing, it was an amazing job they did. Um, now how did you jump from sound editing to, I'm assuming assistant editing, and then you jumped into feature editing? Well, you know, I always wanted to be a picture editor. You know, I kind of, you know, I have, like I told you, my background is is with people who were picture editors. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so so after I had done a bunch of sound assisting, I, I kind of like was looking around and um, I just started cold calling. That's what, you know, you did. That's what I did in the old days. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I would look through, through the uh, – through the Hollywood Reporter, used to list things on Tuesdays of like films that are starting. Now, of course, you can you, do it. On you, you mean you mean on the internet, right? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> the old paper on Tuesdays, it would come out films in films in the future. Yeah, I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, that's so where you look for jobs. Yeah, and I and I and I was able to uh, track down um, uh, another legendary editor who I got very lucky with. Uh, y- 
uh, Lindsay Klingman, and uh, she was starting a film called Baby Boom with Diane Keaton. Oh yeah, God, that's eighty five. Yeah, eighty. Yeah, eighty six. Yeah, and like that. Uh, and uh, Charles Shire and Nancy Myers were were making that film. Chuck was directing it, and and Nancy and him wrote it and produced it. And um, Lin, you know, she invited me over to her house, and we had a conversation, and we talked about filmmaking and my background and her background, and we hit it off. She, you know, she liked me, and and I got the job as the first assistant on that picture, and. Uh, I just, you know, really like I was over the moon. I was so thrilled to be on uh, what at that time was, you know, I thought it was a pretty, you know, good, prestigious picture. I mean, it it's certainly it was not a studio film. It was a studio film. And it was a big hit too. It was a it was a really nice film. Sam Shepard was in it, and yeah. uh, and it was a lot of fun. And you know what? Back in those days, I can't remember how long it was, Alex, but. We had over a hundred days of shooting, I think. Something yeah. <laughs> ridiculous like that. I mean, it was for MGM UA at that time. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, it was just a different environment for filmmakers and and oh, budgets. And they yeah. weren't making that many films. And, you know, and Charles and Nancy had done Private Benjamin. So they had- Which is another huge hit. That was another yeah. huge hit back in yeah, the Yeah, so they had a certain amount of clout. Well, you're looking at but budgets back then, so for people to understand who's listening, I mean, the budget for Baby Boom was, must have been like 10 million bucks, 12 million bucks. Yeah, if it was 15, I would be surprised. Right, it was, it was not like, that's when studios were doing movies like that. Uh, yeah. They would do yeah. 20 of those a year as opposed to just three $200 million movies a year now. Exactly. Yeah. It was a different world and they were, you know, there was a different market and, um, and it was a blast. You know, the film was, was just awesome to work on. Charles and Nancy were, you know, they're such creative and, and they were a lot of fun, um, you know, in their own kind of crazy writer, director, producer ways. And, uh, you know, I was young and I had a lot of energy so I could work, you know, 14, 15 hours a day and it wasn't oh, a problem. Remember those days? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and, uh, and again, that was a great experience. And then, um, I went to do another film with, uh, with Lindsay, uh, little man Tate. Yes. Uh, that was, uh, Jodie Foster's first uh, directorial. Exactly. Uh, and, and, that and, was- and the reason I know all this stuff is because this is the, this is the sweet spot of the time I worked at a video store. So I okay. worked, I worked in a video <laughs> store from 80, from 87 to like 92, 93. Yeah. So anything in that time period, I'm going to know a lot about. <laughs> sort of like prime of my career, man. This is fantastic. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, so we we did we did that together, and um, well, and uh, well, let me ask you, let me ask and, you something. You know, working with Jody was just you know, oh, I can imagine. I mean, that was her first. Honor. That was it was a great little movie. I remember watching it, and and uh, she's a great director. She uh, doesn't get she doesn't get enough credit for it, but she is a really good director. Yeah, I mean, she she actually directed a bunch of episodes, or at least a few of uh, House of Cards, which you know I thought was was kind of cool. And you know, obviously, she's gone on to to do a bunch of. Really interesting work. So uh, she's, yeah, she's she's, a, she's amazing. She's an amazing uh, artist in general. Um, now, uh, how do you how do you start editing a feature film? What is your process when you, you literally first day you've got all the raw footage? It's all been organized for you. How do you start? What's your process of tackling uh, the story, tackling the, the project? Well, after I get over my initial anxiety attack, of course, um, <laughs> I know it is a daunting mountain you have to climb. It, you know, that, that's, you know, something that I was lucky to get from my dad. I was just like, Oh my God, how do you cut an entire film? You know? And it's like that old thing. How do you eat an elephant? You know, it's one bite at a time. And that, 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 you know, 
if I could pass anything on to young editors, that's really sort of like the fundamental uh, truth. It, it's one cut at a time, one yep. scene at a time. Yep. And I'm, you know, and I'm sort of a nonlinear thinker. I'm an audiovisual learner. I was never a great student in school. Uh, you know, yes. if anything, English and 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 you know, literature were my strengths. Yep. God, like, we're both the, yeah, we're both in the same. We're both in the same yeah. pod. Not real strong at math, unfortunately. Um, you, you know, so uh, y y my mind works in a very nonlinear way, and that's why when I saw the Avid, I kind of like knew this was going to be my future. Mm. Um, and you know, a lot of times, what I'll do is I'll just start looking at the material, and I'll just start pulling stuff that looks good to me. That if it's comedy, I pull stuff that makes me laugh. If it's, you know, a drama, I'll, I'll, I'll try to, you know, I'll pull stuff that moves me, but I'll just start pulling selects. But you don't, but you don't go in order. Some, yeah. I mean, uh, this is something that I learned from Lindsay, you know, because, you know, she would like just start in the middle of a scene. She would say, oh, you know, that, that line's great. That's a great performance. That's a great reading. And she would just start cutting there. And I was just like, wow, that's so cool. You don't even have to start at the beginning. You know, you can just, you can start at the end. Um, so yeah, I'll just start pulling stuff. And then, you know, it's, it's that puzzle. It's like taking that select reel and organizing it into some sort of, you know, fashion. And, and, you know, during the process, I might go through and start cutting, intercutting dialogue, you know, not just pulling, you know, it, it'll be, so my first sort of select reel, uh, uh, you know, to describe it best would be just sort of like this big mishmash of stuff that I liked. And then I go and I weed through it and I weed it out and I try to make things work because in, invariably you'll be pulling things that won't necessarily work together. And, and there will be a part of a reading that you'll want to replace because it wasn't so great, but everything else was great from that reading. So, um, you know, it's, it's this incredibly, uh, you know, just talking about it with you really gives me a sort of a sense of, you know, joy mm -hmm. and, and fulfillment because that's really the fulfilling part of it. it I, I would imagine it's something like when a sculptor is sculpting a, something out of a piece of marble, you're just finding this, you know, beautiful object in there or, you know, making it as beautiful as you can, you know, sculptor has a, a little bit more latitude. I mean, we are given a palette to work off of from the director, but, you know, it's finding those gems and, and sort of shaping them. And then of course you get into the sort of like the fine tuning and, 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 and the tightening and what I call trying to sing, you know, trying to make it really fly and make it a real scene. And that process is, is, you know, that's kind of like my process on every scene in the movie. And then, you know, you just go and assemble all those scenes. And then before you know it, you got a movie. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny that um, it's true what they say. The, the movie is written three times in script form, in production, and in post. Absolutely. And, every, and those are different versions. And, you know, editing as long as I have as well as you, I'm sure, is that, you know, you, you, you find the movie. The movie kind of pops itself out at you. When yeah. you're when you're editing, because sure you have the script, sure you have you know scenes, but that's that's very broad. You got to go in there and start chiseling out those little moments, those little looks, that right. timing. That's not on the paper. That's what the right. editor brings. 
Right. Well, and, and, and that's also what the director and the actors bring. You know, well, of course, but, but it's there. Cinematographer bring. But, but like you're saying, uh, you, you're reading the script, and a lot of times as an editor, you'll look at the, the, the line script to see what kind of coverage you've got. And, you, you know, you'll read through the script before you start cutting it. I, I do at least. You know, I look at the scene. What's suppo- what was the intention here? Mm-hmm. And quite often you'll look at the film and you'll go, well, holy shit, you know, <laughs> this is totally different. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just that's just the process. You know, uh, so much happens on set, you know, improv and spontaneity and director brings new ideas. And, um, you know, quite often it's, it's much different than what's on the page. And, uh, you know, that's another one of the exciting parts about the whole thing. I was watching, um, the Ron Howard masterclass the other day (laughs) and the way he, he's, he's an absolute technician. I mean, there's just, as far as craft is concerned, you watch him actually direct scenes for like two hours. Nice. It's amazing. But what I was fascinated with in regards to editing is that he is giving the editor everything he or she needs to cut the scene and have so many options in in order to do it. And that's what I think a a professional director does. It it just gives you those options because you just never know what's going to work and what's not going to work in a lot of times. Yeah, I, I, I mean, when you work with a director of that, you know, that level of, of, of craftsmanship, you 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 know it's a joy because they know all the pieces and and you know you hear about people talk about you know like they see the film in their head you know as they're shooting it they're seeing it play in their head mm-hmm. they're seeing all the cutaways and things like that and then when you get that you know as an editor because when you read the script quite often you'll sort of see it in your head also and when you get that material you're just like oh thank god you know <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. and, and, and yet, you know, it's interesting that you say that, you, you know, he, he's sort of very technically oriented. You know, all of our crafts have so much of a technical aspect to them. Absolutely. It is a craft of technology. I mean, think about, you know, the earliest movies. They were these these machines and you need to know how those machines work and how to utilize them and how to, how to harness the power of them. And that goes from everything from, from you know, now, I mean, even uh-huh. pre-visualization and 3D and stuff like that to editing. And, you know, some people poo-poo the technical aspects of editing. And, you know, that's a shame. And, and you, you know, you really, uh, like uh, some people have said that the art is derived from the craft. And, you, you know, you need to know how to use your tools mm-hmm. um, to, to you know, really have, have power over them. Oh, no, no question at all. Now, can you do me a, uh, do me a favor and can you explain to the, uh, to the tribe what's an assemble cut versus a locked cut? Oh, wow. Well, you know, uh, that's, that's a long journey. Uh, you know, I've worked on films uh, where the first cut was five and a half hours long. So <laughs> that would be know, the assemble cut. That would be the first assembly or yeah. the editor's cut. Sure. And, you know, uh, not to seem touchy or anything like that, because I, I really don't, you know, I'm, I'm not hung up about this, but, you know, it's really not an assembly. I mean, maybe back in the old days of film, it was an assembly when they used to use uh, paper clips to put it together and then they would have to be hot, hot spliced. I mean, with the, with the, with digital tools, with the Avid, you know, or really any, any nonlinear editor, you can really refine your cut uh, in the assembly. However, you're still assembling everything they shot. And sometimes, you know, you'll have a 150 page script, not as much anymore, but you know, you'll have a 120 page script that will just run 
much longer than oh. you, you know anticipated. And mm-hmm. you, you know, especially with the kind of things that I've been doing most recently, improv comedy, you know, you'll have improv that will just sort of like go off the rails and just, you know, extend the cut. So, you you know, improvised scenes, alternate scenes, things like that. Now, you have to show the director everything they shot. At least I believe that you Mm -hmm. really show the director everything they shot when you present your, your first cut. So the journey is taking that first cut from what could be anywhere from, you know, two and a half to five and a half hours or longer and bringing it down to whatever the, you know, appropriate running length of the film will, you know, ultimately be. And, and, you know, a a lot of times the rule in comedy is, you know, comedy shouldn't be longer than 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not always the case, but a lot of, you know, I've worked for directors, you know, I'm not releasing this film for, you know, any longer than 90 minutes and like, okay, well, our first cut is three hours. What are we going to (laughs) cut? A lot of of jokes are going. Yeah, exactly. And and a lot of crap will go, you know, that you sure. thought was funny maybe and, you know, was funny in dailies, but, you know, just isn't working, isn't working in terms of the story. Yeah. So it's it's that process of, of, of taking the film from its original, you know, assembly and, and bringing it down to the final length, uh, the tested length. Usually you will have uh, several previews and sometimes they'll be in a theater with 300 people and other times it'll just be, you know, friends and family, you know, 10 people in a room. And it's that process of refining and obviously now with visual effects, it's, you know, Ugh. you know, creating and finaling the visual effects, music, music with the composer and of course all of the, you know, the, the source cues now and, um, of course sound effects and, and, and building out a, you know, an awesome sound soundtrack. Um, so that's kind of like, you know, where you start. And that's why they give directors uh, 10 weeks as per the Directors Guild contract to put together their cut. And then, of course, the producers come in and they pitch their notes and give us their ideas. And then, of course, the, the studio exe- executives, yeah. of course. <laughs> yeah. And they pitch their notes and, and, and give us their ideas. And, and so it's this, you know, it's this journey from, you know, camera to uh, to now it's called a DCP, the uh, yes. the the digital release digital uh, which, cinema package yeah exactly which you see in the theaters so you know it's uh, it's like being uh, part of a traveling circus what can i tell you <laughs> now now this is something i always love asking editors because it's something that we've all have to deal with in in a room with clients are there any tricks to handling creative differences between directors producers executives in the suite while you're there because i i've i've had i've had produce i've had actual clients throw fists in my room uh, <laughs> with each other and I'm and you're just the editor you're just sitting there like I just I, and you're and you're trying to appease both masters <laughs> and so you're basically Switzerland you're like Alex yes. you know like Alex show him that cut and I show him the cut no show him the other cut it's like you're like Switzerland so what do you do any any um tips for those young editors out there when they have that client I'm not talking about creative differences between you as the editor and the, the director that shouldn't happen um but between to a director, producer, or, or executives in the room? Well, um, I, I think my essential uh, lesson or, or, or advice would be stay out of the line of fire. <laughs> right, because there's a lot of that. <laughs> Dodge the bullets as best as possible. Hide behind your avid if possible. Um, no, I mean, y- you know, it's uh, – 
it's it's part of the it's part of the job, and it's certainly a skill set that you're going to need to develop and 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 get better at as as you get you know further on in your career. Um, you know, obviously, you work for the director, and you're trying to uh, y- you know help them realize their vision, and and you, you know that's your first loyalty. And, and you're going to have disagreements with the director, but, oh, you know, it's best that you have those without the producer and the studio around. Uh, you know, those are discussions, creative discussions, explorations that you're going to have. And, you know, you, you, you'll come to, you know, your ultimate decisions, you know, in those situations. And, and you know, it's different. I mean, you know, let's say if it's the first time you're doing a film for a director, you're going to be you're you're going to have to learn their process and how much they're willing to tolerate in terms of feedback and input and things like that. But you know, I'm assuming that Thelma Schoomaker has some pretty you know pretty substantial uh, input on on oh. Martin Scorsese's films. You, th- you think <laughs> <laughs> they've been working together for 25 years, you know, yeah. and they're not kids. And 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 you know, I I think that he values her strong opinions, you know, as as most directors will of you know editors of that stature. Um, but again, at the end of the day, it's the director's decision. Now, when directors and producers go at it and try to put you in the middle of it, Oof. you really do have to become Switzerland or you could be cutting off your nose to spite your face. You mm-hmm. could be ending a relationship with a director by saying something that compromises their point of view. Uh, and that gets around. Of course, uh, you know, it gets around and, you know, as an editor, you know, you don't have that many clients, you know, you'll, you'll work on a movie for eight months or a year, uh, as opposed to mixers who can do three, four, five movies in a year, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or people in production who could do three or four movies a year. I mean, the production at, at, at you know, at the longest these days is three or four months long. And most of them are more like 30 days long. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're working on, you know, movies for a long time with a person, person. So that relationship is really important. Now, of course, you've got to respect the studio and, and, and their decisions, you know, and, and their desires also. Um, but that's really, you know, that's really something that I've learned to let the director work out with the studio. And if the studio puts you in the middle of it, you got to say, look, you know, I'm just the editor of this film. You really got to talk to the director and you really got to, you know, figure out a way to get what you want by, by working with them. And, you know, there are so many producers on films now. Oh God. You know, I mean, back in the day, if there were two or three producers, it would be, you know, that, that would be a lot, but now it's, you know, 10, 20, 12. Exactly. So, you, you know, it's more like, you know, a little bit of a committee. And a lot of times if, if they're all in there or maybe eight of the 12 are in there, you, you know, there's more of sort of like a massaging of the, of the director's ego and sort of like persuasion. So it makes it a little bit easier for, you know, the editor to stay out of the line of fire. But of course, when they leave the room, it's always, you know, it's always, you know, me and the director sort of like sorting out the opinions right. and a lot of times we'll be just like, Oh, those, you know, flipping idiots. And <laughs> right. So basically the second the producers leave, the director goes, Larry, put it back the way I had it. <laughs> Larry, put it back. I don't care what they say. Put it back the way I had it. 
Well, it depends. <laughs> I mean, it does. Uh, it, de- it depends. It depends, obviously, on the situation. Now, yeah. now, now, what's the craziest thing that happened to you in an edit suite that you can discuss publicly? Oh, geez. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. I mean, there have been so many crazy things. Uh, you know, uh, I've always tried to, you know, keep the peace. And like I say, you know, the, the older and wiser I've gotten, the, the more I've realized that it's important to stay out of the line of fire and keep my mouth shut, you know, because, you know, sometimes, honestly, you know, they don't want your opinion, you know, they'll right. be, and they'll be very forward about it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, you know, that's the whole sort of like, you know, above the line, below the line sort of, you know, I'm, I'm not a five time Academy award nominee. So, you know, like the power that I have or the clout that I have mm-hmm. isn't going to be the same as, you know, as, as some other people, but, uh, you know, there have been all kinds of crazy situations. Um, you know, th- there have been more like, you know, nightmare situations where you are screening the film two or three times a week for 12 producers mm-hmm. and, you know, the director's very, very insecure and indecisive and you're ending up trying to, you know, uh, you know, meet the desires of 12 different masters and you end up, uh, you know, coming up with, with kind of like a really disgusting stew that nobody wants to eat. And, mm-hmm. You, you know the the really good experiences have been where a director is is um, has a vision, really kind of like sees what they want to do, and also has the sort of political and and diplomatic savvy to you know persuade um, you know the powers that be uh, to you know to that vision. You know it, it's the director's job is is sort of like a you know I always think of Francis Coppola as like this master of not only the craft, but also of politics. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and obviously he was a great artist also, but you know, you're, you're really having to, you know, sell people on your idea. Uh, And, and I can't imagine, you know, I haven't been in on any of the, you know, in any of the cutting rooms, I've never done like one of these giant tentpole Marvel movies or Mm -hmm. things or star Wars or something like that. And I, I just can't imagine what it's like when there's that kind of money on the line. Oh, um, you know, I've done a couple of, fil- I did a film, you know, for, for Warner brothers, it was a, you know, it was like an $80 million budget. So that was, you know, somewhat, but still it, it was, it was a different time. And, and, and now 20 years later, I, I can't imagine what it's like the pressure on the director and the editor, uh, or editors. And, um, you know, to a certain extent, you know, there aren't that many auteurs left. And the whole sort of auteur theory is is sort of like really a... The, it's no, a, the Nolans, the Finchers, there's there's a handful of them, but not many. Yeah, there's not many of those guys left. And, and you know, and... Well, especially in the studio system, maybe more in the indie world. Yes. Um, but in yes. the studio system, the, you know, the Coppola's, uh, there's, there's Scorsese, there's Spielberg, but those right. are, that's the old guard. Yeah, and 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 it it's just not happening as much anymore. You, you know, it's, it's hard with two hundred million dollars on the line. It's yeah. just it's just so hard. And and a lot of times, you know, on these on some of these visual effects movies, they're hiring you know people with a visual effects background, whether it's a visual effects artist or or mm-hmm. you know, or, soup or somebody that, that understands it. Exactly, and and you know they don't have a lot of clout, and you know I think that was evidenced by the you know the replacement of Ron Howard on on the Star Wars film. Yeah, and and and, and you know so. 
you know, the studios in, in, in those situations, they're, you know, they're really running the show. They're calling the shots, you know, and, and they have final say. I mean, very few directors have final cut anymore, except for, like you say, the Nolan. Nolan ones and, yeah, but, but, but Nolan proved himself already. Uh, Finch, exactly. Fincher proved himself already. I mean, obviously Spielberg and Scorsese and, right. and, and that guy with Jimmy, Jimmy Cameron. Yeah, him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, you can count all those people on on two your hands. You oh, know? two hands, you've got them. Yeah, there's not that many guys uh, that can 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 wield that kind of power anymore. Right. Or, so the like rest in, of are of them are, are you know they're just in there slogging it out. <laughs> they're just they're just trying to they're just trying until you know until you make a billion dollars and then all of a sudden like Ryan Coolidge, I'm sure is going to have a lot more sway on the next movie. Um, yeah, and, then, and boy, I don't think anybody else deserves it more than him. I mean, that that film, Fruitvale Station, was was I thought one of the best films. Um, yeah. Oh, it was great, and and Creed was awesome too. I thought Creed was very good. Yeah, that guy's got some real talent. And now, I mean, boy, you know, the world is his oyster. <laughs> he blew it. He blew it out of the water, man. God bless him. You know, and it couldn't happen to a you know better filmmaker. Now, you edited uh, Assassins. Was that that eighty million dollar movie you were talking about? Yeah, I think Assassins was something like that. I, I was talking about Jack Frost. I mean, that had oh a, god, yeah, Jack Frost. Uh, that would be Michael Keaton. Yeah, and Kelly Preston, and yeah. uh, that had a you know that had a ten million dollar budget just for ILM. So. Oh yeah, that was a huge VFX budget. I remember that. That was when when Michael was uh, off Turns Batman. Yes, yes, off of Batman. Right, we actually shot it down at the the Spruce Goose Dome where they did yeah. some of the ba- the early Batmans. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> you know. Uh, that that was a you know that was a real good experience though um you know i i had worked a lot at warner brothers coming up and um you know uh, troy miller and i had a real good relationship and how was uh, it how was it to work with uh, dick donner cuz he's i mean a legend yeah dick donner was uh that was a pleasure and it was really you know i i got to tell you it was sort of like living in the lap of luxury because you know <laughs> of I, course there was a guy with clout and talent and uh and just a, a fun and nice person to work with and, and uh, of course I, I i worked on that with with richie marks one of my mentors and uh, but the the crazy thing about that was that was uh, one of warner brothers accelerated schedules uh, i think it was three months uh, i had three days off mm. so it was intense to say the least. And just so, I, just so everybody listening knows, uh, for who people who are listening who don't know who Richard Donner, we, I just call him Dick Donner uh, because I know him obviously. Uh, no, <laughs> uh, Rich <laughs> Richard Donner because uh, Richard Donner is uh, basically the godfather of the superhero movie. He he shot the first uh, two Supermans as right. well as the Lethal Weapons as well as Goonies. Yeah. Uh, and the list goes on and on. He's an absolute legend. And I've heard nothing but that he's the sweetest, nicest uh, person in Hollywood. Yeah, he, he, w- he was a great guy to work for. I remember coming – we were there on a Saturday once and they would have like a like a mountain of fruit and, you know, just so we have some breakfast. And there was a little bit of fruit missing from this mountain and he would come by and say, where's the fruit? They need more food. These people need food to work. <laughs> And it was always like that. And, you know, again, because he was such a, a powerful guy and, you know, filmmaker uh, with a lot of clout, you know, there was never sort of a, there was no busting balls over overtime or, or things like that. Yeah, you're in a and, different world then. You're in a complete, I, I know people, I know, I know people who work in that world that just yeah. like, just are just, there's money's not an issue. Just do the yeah. job. Just do the job. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was fun. I came on after they got back from location, and you know, and Richie really was, you know, the driving force editorially. I mean, mm. you know, there's, you know, the, here's the guy who, you know, who was sort of like the supervising editor on Apocalypse Now and Godfather Two, and like I said, all the Jim Brooks films. So he's done okay. He did okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, nominated <laughs> for like five Academy Awards. Uh, so, you know, it was just a real privilege and uh, and fun because you know I was kind of like the hot shot at the Avid, and and I'd be like doing things like putting. <laughs> Putting a gunshot in, you know, I, I I would like cut out a flash from Photoshop <laughs> and make was like a creative genius. They're, they're like, oh my god, I can't believe you can do that. You know, back in '95, can I, you I, imagine like you're cutting out a muzzle flash in the Avid and like doing it for a frame? And yes. they're like, what is this witchcraft you're doing? <laughs> Yeah. Yes. We must have this guy on all of our films, you know, and Joel Silver was there and this was before the matrix matrix. Uh, Joel was still Joel. I mean, he did the lethal weapons. He's, I mean, he was a legendary producer before even the matrix. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun, but it was a crazy schedule. It was just, it was just nuts. And, um, you know, uh, it was fun though. You know, it was fun. You know, it's a rush. And then, you know, being a freelancer, you do those kinds of things. And, you know, look, I was much younger then. I don't know if I could do it today. Sure. But you do those things and then, you know, you take a month off. You know, you you, you have to decompress after something. Oh, abs- like- oh, absolutely. Without question. Now, now you, have, you are now starting to give back uh, of yourself and trying to teach other generations the craft, as we said, talked about a little earlier, and you created a course called the Master of the Workflow. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, I I was doing this film. Uh, I've done two films with with a guy named Mike Titus, who's just a terrific director and and a great guy, and we get along great. And you know, he's been working with uh, Marlon Wayans mm-hmm. and Marlon's partner Rick Alvarez uh, for a long time. And, um, we were finishing up naked or we were sort of like halfway into it. And, you know, I, like I said, I always try to like, you know, sort of powwow with, with my people and, and Richard Sanchez uh, was my assistant on that film. And Richard's a, you know, a crack assistant. He's, he's just top notch and, uh, reminds me of myself when I was a kid, he really into the job, you know, into the technical aspect as well as the creative creative aspect has like an encyclopedia encyclopedia knowledge of, of film. So he's a lot of fun to work with. And one day, you know, I'm in his room just trying to, you know, get a breather, just get a break from, you know, the stuff that's rolling over your eyeballs and we're talking and he's showing me, you know, sort of his process. And I'm just thinking about how different the process was from the time I was an assistant, certainly on film. And he's showing me this this digital code book that he, you know, created in FileMaker Pro. And basically, like, the whole movie is in this file. You know, like, all of the information, all of the metadata, you know, the EDLs, the continuity, uh, uh, the timings, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, all the ADR and music notes. Everything's in there. And I'm just, like, thinking, wow, that that is such a powerful tool. And, you know, it just got me thinking that. Where do assistants get trained properly in the the workflow? Where do they get trained in the process, uh, you know, in, in the professional filmmaking world? And, you know, I, I, I certainly have, a, you know, a certain amount of respect for, you know, f- film schools and, and things like that. But, y- you know, it's not the real world experience. It's not being in the trenches and running up against the things that you run up against. Um, and, and so we, we started like throwing ideas around about creating this, this course that would, that would teach 
the the process from the time you meet with your editor mm-hmm. and 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 how that sort of interview goes and what you might expect from something like that through starting the picture um, all the way through final delivery and every step of the way. And, and I'm, I'm talking about, we really drill down. It's, it's six modules, it's, uh, 32 lessons and, and more than 13 hours of material of, of what the experience of assisting on a feature film, uh, you know, it really could be at any budget level. Obviously there's going to be more complexity, the more, you know, the higher the budget, the more mm-hmm. of it things like that but we cover visual effects and and we just documented the process uh and and richard essentially you know sort of narrates the whole thing because it's you know it's his ballywick and and you know he's an expert at it and i you know obviously edited it and and we we you know we you know batted you know feedback uh, with each other and um and yeah and we put it out there and what happened was it conf- uh, the response was so great it just really confirmed that there are so many people out there that want to learn this process. I mean, it's not like one of your typical um, certification courses that you right, might right. from Avid or Adobe or even Apple. It's it's sort of real world experience from people who have done you know cumulatively. Richard and I have you know I've done over forty five feature features in television shows, and you know he's done over fifteen. So you know people who have been there who have been in the trenches and. Um, and and like I said, we're getting uh, we're getting great feedback, and you know it's 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 really nice because it's so it's it's great to see these young people and and some not so young uh, who want this material, who find it has a lot of value for them, um, and and they're just so excited about making movies, and 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 that's a thrill because you know that's kind of like you know that that's what lights my fire. Well, great. I'll put a link to it in the in the show notes so everybody uh, listening, if you want to get. Uh, real training on how to be an assistant editor, and, or, or at least understand what an assistant editor does. Uh, definitely check out the course. I've, I've I've bumped around in there a little bit, and I would have killed for that when I was coming up. So, yeah. uh, congrats on on that. Uh, Thank Larry. you. Thank- now, um, what advice would you give an editor wanting to break into the business today? Well, you know, uh, I think we've we've talked a lot about you know uh, you know some of the things that you know that I did. Uh, to get into the business, you know, it's different now, but I, I think that on kind of like a fundamental level, it's not really all that different. Some of the tools that you use are different. Um, but you know, you've got to kind of get, you know, if you want to work in long form, you've got to get into that world somehow. Now, you know, just getting your foot in the door, there's a lot of ways you could, you know, you could just get a job in some sort of, you know, production environment, whether it's a PA, you know, a runner, uh, you, you know, if you're, if you're doing that, even on a production, you'll be able to a lot of times sort of, um, you know, peek your head into the, into the cutting room and, and meet the assistants and the editors sometimes. And, you know, you start making that, you know, your world. And, uh, you know, a lot of people get into editing these days through reality and because that's actually a way from, you know, the best of my uh, knowledge is that's a way to get into the union and, mm-hmm. and, and major films and television shows are controlled by the unions. That's just a fact of life. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you, you sort of, again, you, you sort of make your, your, your goal, you know, part of your world, um, 
And, you, you know, another way to kind of like uh, do this is is by utilizing the power of the Internet. Um, you know, I, I, I know that young people are very familiar with all of these things, but, you know, I've been fascinated to see how many people have been able to make connections and introductions and so forth uh, through Facebook groups. And, um, you know, there are Facebook groups for every part everything. of the making process. Everything. And in every city, you know, so if you want to localize things, you know, if you're in New York or in L.A. or, you know, in Mumbai, mm -hmm. you can, you, you know, you can look for a post-production group there. And, you, you know, if you're a decent human being and you don't alienate everybody, because sure. <laughs> some people do that in these groups, um, you know, you can really start to make connections. And that wasn't possible when I, when I was young. I mean, again, we talked about it. You went through the variety and you looked for the films in production. Sure, 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 sure. Now, um, now so, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, 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 no. So, um, so what is the lesson that took you the longest to learn, whether in the film business or in life? Oh, Jesus, I'm still learning them. But um, uh, in the film business, uh, you know, the lesson was, uh, you know, early on, there have been many lessons, my friend. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> But early on, uh, if you're trying to get into the business, it's, you know, obviously you're, there's going to be some time where you're going to, you know, try to, you know, do have some experimentation. But if you, if you realize, you know, kind of early on, maybe out of college or something that you want to be an editor, you know, focus on that and, and, and sort of be directed in terms of really going for that. I mean, don't take a job unless it's absolutely necessary, you know, in some other part of the business, um, where you're not going to be exposed to the post-production process. You're not going to be exposed to editors and assistants and things like that because, you know, I sort of spent a lot of time pursuing the cinematography thing, you know, until I realized like, you know, I just, I didn't want to live that life. I didn't want to be on the road. You know, if you want to be a cinematographer, pursue that, you know, if you want to be an editor, pursue that. If you want to be a writer, you know, write, I, mm -hmm. this, kind of a common you know expression is like writers write actors act you know mm -hmm. yes we all have to make a living but you know i you can't be half assed about this career path um, <laughs> no you cannot <laughs> it's just you can't be half committed it's just too competitive and there are too many people out there um so you know that would that would be a lesson early on. I think I think I mentioned one of the lessons as an editor. Uh, you know, uh, say less, listen more, unless you're 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 asked, and then and then be careful what comes out of your mouth. I, I that, um, you know I think as a young person I was you know I I, I valued my opinions much much more than uh, well, that's youth, man. That's just youth yeah. in general. Yeah, you know, and, and, you know, I think, I think that, you know, could get people in trouble. I think that, you know, listen, stay out of the line of fire, be respectful, uh, you know, work hard. Uh, I, I don't think it's any, any kind of, you know, mystery. It's, it, again, it's a competitive business and you want to make as many, you know, uh, friends as possible. Always be nice to the apprentice because you never know when they're going to be running this, the studio was a, was an expression that used to be uh, told. Mm -hmm. And it's very true, you know. You never know when uh, <laughs> when when that yes. schlepper is going to be uh, write a great script and and get a directing deal. So, um, you know, I, just don't as a, as as a, uh, the best advice ever is like just don't be a dick. Yeah, 
that, that's something that Richard and I, uh, you know, this kind of Richard's phrase, because a lot, you know, again, on this, in this online stuff, you know, you've got people who are just, they're dicks. And it's like, uh, yeah. why are you alienating yourself from, from your community here? You know, just be a nice person, uh, you know, check your ego to a great extent. I mean, you could be a, you know, the next, uh, you know, Tarkovsky, but, um, just, you know, <laughs> show it. Don't talk about it. Exactly. Exactly. Now, what are three of your favorite films of all time? Well, you know, I came up, uh, and, and the reason, you know, the reasons I wanted to be in, in the film business were, were films like, uh, Bonnie and Clyde. Mm-hmm. And, um, Diddy Allen's films were great. You know, Diddy actually worked across the hall from my father back in New York. So I always knew about her. Uh, you know, I loved reds, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I love period sure. dramas. Um, you know, uh, another editor that comes out of that sort of like school is, uh, was a guy who just recently passed away. A great editor named Jerry Greenberg cut the French connection. The French connection was, yes. A- what an amazingly edited film that was. Yeah, yeah. So you know, Dog Day Afternoon, another oh. film of of of, of Didi's, um, you know, was was kind of mind blowing. I mean, but you know, I go back. I mean, I think about the films that kind of like shaped my view of the world, like Twelve Angry Men with Henry Fonda and all those mm-hmm. great actors. Um, more recently, I, I I mean, you know, it's just there's so many great films. Oh, I I, I cannot mention um, Apocalypse Now. I mean, that was like mind blowing. I saw that at a, a, at the Cinerama Dome at a midnight show, mm-hmm. uh, when it was called the Cinerama Dome, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, that was like, wow, you know, you can change the world with movies and you can change people's, you know, ideas about war and, and politics and life. And I thought, that's what I want to do. You know, I want to, I want to, you know, be able to help shape you know, people's, you know, viewpoints and help them see. Now, of course I went into Hollywood and make a, made a, made a bunch of silly comedies, but (laughs) (laughs) there's still, there's still, there's still much value in making people laugh without question. So, I mean, they just don't make those kinds of films as much anymore. And if they do, they are in the world. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, those films are few and far between, but, um, yeah, there's been a lot of movies that I've, that I've loved. Now, where can people find you? Oh, well, um, online, not like your house address. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, the, the course is, is at mastertheworkflow.com. And um, please come in and visit us if you have an interest in, in, in getting into uh, the assistant editing world, which, you know, we believe leads to film editing and uh, is, is sort of historically the, the best path to become a, a feature film editor. Um, and uh, you can check us out there. We've got some, you know, free downloads, some, you know, information about, you know, like your five key contacts on set and uh, some other information about the course. Uh, yeah, check us out. And, um, you know, I, I want this to be timely, but we're going to be speaking at Avid Connect this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll also be at the uh, LAC uh, PUG uh, Super Meet at uh, Las Vegas at NAB this year. Oh, you're going to be at NAB? Great. I'm going yeah, there too. Yeah, yeah. We're partnering with um, with people like Avid and ACE. We're we're at the Edit Fests. Um, we were there in uh, last year. Nice. And we'd love it if we're you know to, we're going to try to get to London this year. And uh, yeah, we're just going to be talking about editing and and assisting and post production and introduce yourself. And uh, I'd be happy to to answer any questions I can. Larry, man, thank you so much for for just dropping knowledge bombs on the tribe today. I, I truly truly appreciate you taking the time out. 
Oh, well, it was fun, Alex. Thank you uh, for taking the time to talk to me. I want to thank Larry for uh, being on the show and uh, dropping some knowledge bombs on the editing front for the tribe. And if you guys are interested in his course, uh, just head over to IndieFilmHustle.com forward slash 235 for the show notes. And there you will have a link to his course. And that's it for me today, guys. I got a lot of work to do, working on some cool stuff for you, some new content. So as always, keep that hustle going. Keep that dream alive, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Indie Film Hustle podcast at IndieFilmHustle.com. That's I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-H-U-S-T-L-E.com. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia. Your Total Wine & More store is ready to serve you with our always low prices on an incredible 8,000 wines and 2,500 beers. Want it today? Try our same-day delivery or contactless curbside pickup at TotalWine.com. Whether you're grabbing your favorite beer or pouring a glass to enjoy an evening on the deck, Total Wine & More has you covered. Visit any of our 12 stores in Northern Virginia.